If you would, grab your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Job. We're going to start in chapter 3. We're going to read verse 25. And if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to, or if you can get access to a Bible somewhere close to you, get it and try your best to stick with me this morning because we're going to go through this book. Um, We're going to pick out the pieces that you need to see so that you can get the whole picture of the book of Job. Job chapter 3, verse 25. Job chapter 3, verse 25. This is what it reads. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, I actually prefer the New King James Version of of this passage because it says this, for the thing that I greatly feared. In other words, the, 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 the biggest fear that I could ever think of. When I think of this is the worst thing that could happen to me in my life, the thing that I feared the most has come upon me. And what I dread befalls me. Again, the New King James Version says, and what I dread has happened to me. You can be seated this morning. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning and before we do anything else, I just want to humble myself before you to, Lord, remind myself and to proclaim to you that I can do nothing without you. This is your word. No matter how powerful I try to be or no matter what I try to do with it, Lord, it is in vain unless you send it forth and accomplish your purpose with it. And God, I'll just be honest with you. I don't want to be up here in vain this morning. If I'm going to be up here in vain, Lord, we might as well just stay at home. So, Father, I'm asking you right now that you would speak your word to us this morning, that you would accomplish your purpose with it, whatever it is. Father, I pray that whoever it is that you mean to speak to this morning, I pray that, Lord, ears would be open and, and, Lord, minds would be open attentive and ready to meditate on the things that you teach us from your word. So Father, help us to open our hearts to receive whatever it is that you want to speak to us this morning. God, I thank you and I love you. Father, before I close, I want to pray this morning for, uh, Lord, the ones that are already hurting. Lord, maybe it's not the worst thing they've ever feared, but even still, Lord, they fell into a a tough trial into a dark place. And Father, I just, I pray for them this morning. God, I pray that, Lord, right now that they find their confidence in you and you alone. Father, I pray that you help them to remember that you are worthy to be trusted. Lord, that you are the great I am, that you are the sovereign God who is in control of all things, God. Father, I pray that they take comfort and that they have full assurance in the promise that the sovereign God means nothing but good toward them. So, Father, I pray that they find comfort in that knowledge this morning. And, Lord, I pray for these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Today I want to talk to you from the topic, and it's a little bit long. I probably could have shortened the title, but I wanted to, um, I wanted to get across to you what, I, what God's trying to say. And here's the topic. How faith should respond when God allows your worst fear to happen. Let me say that one more time. How faith should respond. Now, we go through trials and we go through uh, uh, times of suffering to grow our faith. So don't expect that your faith is already where I'm going to end up this morning. More than likely, you have found your place in similar situations that we're going to read about that Job found his place in. 
More than likely, that's where you've seen your faith. And it ain't been rock solid and just steady. But my prayer this morning is that you leave here with a better understanding of how you should respond when God allows, don't forget that part, when God allows your worst fear to happen. This morning I wanted to give you just a little bit of background without going back and reading it all, but you should have some knowledge of the book of Job. And you may remember that God has allowed Satan to test Job by taking all of his possessions. He don't have a house. He don't have a cow. He don't have, he don't have anything anymore. And if that weren't bad enough, he is burying his seven sons and three daughters. God has allowed Satan to come in and take everything that Job has away from him. Satan comes up before God and he says, Do you think your servant Job loves you and fears you for no reason at all? He's the great accuser. He's doing the same thing for mine and your faith, just like he did to Job. Do you think that, that they fear you for nothing? Do you think that they value you for no reason at all? Is it not because you blessed them? Is it not because you put a hedge around them and you protect them? Is it not because you've increased them in their things? And God said, I'll tell you what. I know that was your problem. I know that when I created you, because of what I gave you and because of who you were, that's the only reason you served me. And then that's why you fell. But you go ahead and you test my servant Job. Go ahead. You take the things away from him that he loves the most. He won't curse me. He'll stay true to the faith. And Satan comes down and he takes all of Job's possessions and all of his children. Now we've got people in here this morning that maybe you have lost a child. Maybe you've lost two children. But can you imagine at one time losing them all? Where would your heart be? For the thing that I greatly fear has come upon me. And the thing that I dread the most has happened to me. How do you respond to that? Where do you go from there? And he don't stop there. Next, God allows Satan to attack Job's body in his hell. Satan comes back because and up to this point, Job has took it in stride. He sat, he sat down on the trash heap in the town where they came to burn their ashes and, and he sat down on it and he, and, and, and he says, The Lord gave and the Lord took away. But blessed be the name of God. Satan says, Okay. Okay. Maybe it ain't because of those things that he trusts you and follows you, but I tell you what, touch his body. For a man's life, he will do and say anything. God said, okay. Test him. Try him. See, we forget something, guys. We forget that this life right here is momentary, it's temporary. We set so much focus on this that we forget about what he is trying to bring us to. And so Satan comes down and, and, and God allows Satan and he says, okay, you can touch his body, but you can't take his life. Have you ever sat back and thought about the things that God has said no to? If you can't ever find anything else to praise God for, if you're in your worst situation, I just want you to stop back and think for one second. God may have allowed this, 
But do you have any idea what Satan actually asked for? What about the things that God says no to? Satan comes down and he attacks Job's body and his health, but he couldn't take his life. So here Job lies in unrelieved misery, and you can read all about it through Job. He has open sores all over his body. His skin is literally turning black. His description, not mine. His skin is literally turning black and his skin is falling off of him. He can't find any comfort in his bed because when he lays down, his bones are aching. This is a sick, sick man. And the only thing, he can't get comfort or rest in any way. And the only thing he can do is he goes to the center of the town. He don't have nowhere to go. He don't have no house. He don't have no children. He don't have anybody but his wife. And even his wife is so disgusted by him that she says, why don't you just go ahead and curse God and die? Why do you still trust him? And Job said, you speak like a foolish woman. Shall we receive good from the hand of God and not evil? Notice that. From who? There are times that God allows the worst to come into your life. And he has purpose and reason behind it. But Job is in the middle of the town on this trash pile to where people come to burn their trash and he's sitting up in the middle of it in the ashes and he's taking a broken uh, uh, pot, clay pot, just the, sh- the, the shards of it, I guess you could say, and he's taking that and he's literally just trying to, to cut the skin away that's already falling off and he can't find any comfort. And during this time, not only is his bones aching and he can't find any comfort, his skin is falling off, but he's grieving the death of his seven sons and three daughters. He's repulsive to his own wife. He says that he's disgusting to his brothers. His brothers won't even come. His own family won't even come around him because of how disgusting he is. Even the little children that used to come around him to play and he used to, he used to be the candy man probably or the bubble gum man or the money man. Uh, every, some of y'all had one of them growing up. The little kids that used to come around him to play and to, to love on him, now they run around and laugh at him and mock him as he sits on the trash pile and they speak badly against him. Job trusted God. Trusted God with everything that he had. He knew that God was for him and not against him. But as any of you have ever experienced, it's easy to stay faithful for a day, isn't it? Maybe even two days. Maybe even three days. But what happens when this thing goes on for months? For years? For years you're dealing with this. And as Job's misery continues... Job began to question whether God was actually for him or not. He never lost his faith in God. He would mention all throughout here that one day when this is over, I'm going to see my Redeemer. But through this thing, he begins to question whether or not God is just in what he does. God, I know that I'm going to see you. I know that that you're my Savior, but I just don't know if you know what you're doing right now. His three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, were sent there to comfort Job. And all they were supposed to do was come and just be a comfort to him. But instead, they began to try to fix it. How many of you know that when the thing that you fear the most comes upon you, and when the thing that you dread befalls you, can't nobody fix it? But how many of us are fixers? I got to do something to try to fix it. So when you read about these three friends, don't think you're any different. We're fixers. We got to try to find something to fix this thing. And as Job is lying there and is suffering, these three friends, they tried to fix it instead of just letting it be broke for a while. And as they tried to fix it, they began to, to think, well, maybe this is a result of some kind of unconfessed sin in your life, Job. That The only reason anybody would suffer the way you're suffering is because God is mad at you. Maybe the reason 
why you're going through this is because there's some kind of unconfessed sin. If you just confess your sin, Job, if you quit hiding it, if you just get it out, then maybe this thing will go away and it'll be fixed. And as a result of this thing, do you remember what God's testimony about Job was? He's a blameless and upright man, perfect in all his ways. He's a man that fears God and shuns evil. This trial was not a result of some unconfessed sin in his life. But yet, because these guys who are trying to fix it come up with this scenario that this has to be why God's doing it, it drives Job into a place to where he has to defend his righteousness. And the more he defends his righteousness, the more that he begins to declare to them, this is not my fault I rose up every morning. You go back and read it. Job said, I would rise up every morning and go and give sacrifice for my family's sins just in case my children had done something wrong that I didn't know about or that they hadn't confessed. He had that much fear of God and that much respect and reverence for God. He would rise up early. To every morning to give sacrifice and say, God, if my kids have done anything wrong, please forgive them. And now here he sits and he begins to tell of his own righteousness at the expense of accusing God of being unjust in the way that he ran things in the world. Have you ever wondered, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? Well, that's where Job's at. Job literally began to find fault in God. In Job chapter 9, if you've got your Bible, try your best to stay, stay along with me. In Job chapter 9, verse 16 through 18, look what he says. He said, if I summoned God and he answered me, I would not believe that he was even listening to my voice because he crushes me with a tempest and he multiplies my wounds. And what's those next two words? God, you have to be at fault here because I don't deserve this. I've done nothing to deserve this. You have to be at fault. And then in verse 18, he says, He will not even let me get my breath. (laughs) I want you to think about what that has to feel like. Listen, we've been through trials in our lives and maybe you've been a little bit to this place, but you have no idea what Job's feeling right here when he says... I can't even get my breath. They come and they tell me of this disaster that's taking place and before I can even get a breath, here comes another disaster. And then before I can get a breath, here comes another disaster. And then before I can get a breath, here comes my wife disgusted by me and my brother's disgusted by me and children that are making fun of me and I'm sitting here by myself and then just when I think I'm going to get a breath, I got three of my best friends that show up and they tell me that I'm at fault. This is not me. God, this has to be you. You have to be the one at fault here because there's no other answer that it could be, right? Either I'm at fault, which I know I'm not, or you're at fault. So let's keep going. Job chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. Job says, I loathe my life, and I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, Do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands, and to favor the designs of the wicked? Listen to this wording that Job is using. (coughs) Job's thought is this right here. Since I have done nothing deserving this degree of this punishment, then the fault must lie with God. Who else could it be? Job wanted to question God himself about the way he was handling things in this world. He didn't hesitate to tell God a thing or two about it either. Look with me again at Job chapter 10, uh, verse 1 again. He said, I loathe my life. I will give what? Job didn't hesitate. Job has done reached the point to where, have you ever been to that place in your life to where, you know what, you say, my religion is gone. 
I'm just going to say what I think. I don't care what nobody says. I don't care what nobody thinks about it. But here's the problem. Job's decided to do this with God. I'm just going to tell him. I'm going to give free utterance. I'm just going to tell him exactly how I feel and how he's in the wrong. Job even uh, uh, goes on in Job chapter 13 verse 3. Look what he says in Job 13 verse 3. But I would speak to the Almighty and I desire to argue my case with God. Now think about all this. God, do you think God is not hearing this? He's hearing all this and He says, I want to argue my case with you because you are in the wrong. And He wants to take God to court. Job chapter 23. We're walking right along. Job chapter 23 verse 1 through 7. Look what he says. He says, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. You sure about that? That I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he wouldn't. But you know what he'd do? He'd pay attention to me. You think? There an upright man could argue with God and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. In other words, God... If I could take you to court right now, I'd take you to court. Now let me ask you a question. Do you, do you really blame Job the way he feels right now? I mean, is it wrong? Absolutely. But when you're in the situation in your life that you feared the most, when you're in the situation in your life that you dreaded whatever happened and it's happened to you, don't you think it would be very easy for you to fall into this place? Job wants to take God to court. Job finally silences his three friends by maintaining his position that this trial is not a result of his sin, but God is at fault. Job chapter 32 verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was what? Righteous in what? Is there any righteous? Even one. But he was righteous in his own eyes, so his three friends ceased to answer him. But then, here we are. We're sitting outside the town on the trash heap. You've got to picture this in your head, okay? You're outside the town on the trash heap. Job's in the middle of it and his three friends are on the outside trying to talk to him. But there's a young man that's been standing by named Elihu. And Elihu has decided, I am not going to speak because wisdom comes with age. So I'm going to let the grown men speak and I'm just going to be silent and I'm just going to be here and I'm just going to listen. But now he's listened to this and he's listened to this and he's burning with anger and he can't take it anymore. So he has to speak. So in verse 2 of chapter 32, Then Elihu, the son of Bacharel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. Verse 3, he burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. And he's burning because he believes in the righteousness of God and that whatever God does is right and good even if it's the worst thing you fear or the thing that you dread the most. God is always, always working good for His people and for His glory. 
Elihu believes that with all of his heart. So here he is. Elihu begins to address Job. Picture this. Elihu is standing up now. These three men have been silenced. Job is sitting on the, on the trash pile in the middle of this town. And he's just listening. But then in chapter 33, verses 12 through 13, Elihu begins to um, address Job in this manner. Job 33, verse 12. He says, Behold, Job. In this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying he will answer none of man's words? God, you, uh, um, Job, you've forgotten something. God is greater, so much greater than you. How in the world do you think you can contend with him. How in the world do you think you can question him? Job's suffering was not for punishment. It was, it was meant to begin with to demonstrate to the devil, the great accuser, that Job valued God even more than the blessings of God. It was meant to demonstrate that Job trusted God whether God blessed him with anything or not, he believed with all his heart that God meant good for him. And it demonstrated that. But as God continued the trial, he continued it because he saw an opportunity to mold something. He saw an opportunity to bring up a sin that lied dormant inside of Job that Job didn't even realize he had. And it was the sin of pride. It wasn't until the trial went on that pride came up and it came out. And the only way that God can deal with your sin is when He causes it to come up and come out. So there will be trials in your life that continue to take place because God sees something lying dormant inside of you that's not good. <clears throat> Excuse me. I heard a story one time. It was about a uh, a sculptor. There was a man. It was a preacher, if I remember. I'm trying to get the story in my head. A preacher was walking down the road. He was in the greatest trial of his life, and he had literally quit preaching and walked away from God because of whatever it was that he was going through. I can't remember what. This is a true story. He walked by this uh, man that was working on a courthouse. And he had a piece of marble down here that he was sculpting. <clears throat> and he asked the man, he said, um, what, are, what are you doing to this thing right here? And he said, well, I have to get this thing ready down here so that it can be prepared to be up there. Now I want you to think about that for just a minute. I have to shape this thing. It's so heavy and it's so hard. I have to shape this thing down here because it's not ready to be up there. So I have to mold and make this thing so that it will be ready to be in its perfect state where it's supposed to be. Sometimes the trial continues as hard as it is, because God knows that He has to mold you here because you're not ready to be there yet. That's important to understand. But toward the end of Elihu's speech, a storm begins to come up. I want you to think about this. Picture this in your mind. Elihu is talking about the greatness of God and then a storm begins to roll up. And, and Elihu begins to proclaim all of God's greatness to Job by using the storm as evidence as it rolls in. Job chapter 36. Go with me to verse 26. Job 36 verse 26. <clears throat> that first word there is what? Behold. This word in its Hebrew form literally means look. It means to call attention to something great. So here's what you need to understand. Elihu is seeing something. And he says to Job, Behold, look. Here's what he sees. He says, Behold, Job, God is great. We don't know him. 
The number of his years is unsearchable. For he draws up the drops of water. What's happening? Starting to rain. Just drops. You notice, you ever sit and watch the storm roll in and the rain just comes in and it starts to drop? Picture that, it's coming in. For he draws up the drops of water and they distill his mist in the rain, which the skies do what? What just happened? All of a sudden the storm has rolled up and it went from drops to a downpour of rain. And then in verse 29 he says, Can anyone understand the spreadings of the clouds? Remember, he's telling Job, look look at this, Job. Look at these clouds. Look at this rain, the way it comes in. Can anybody even understand that? How many of y'all kids got out of school early this week for storms? Why, Why did that happen? Because the weatherman said what? No, the weatherman didn't say it's going to rain. The weatherman said... There's going to be bad, bad storms. Did he get it right? Let me read this one more time, verse 29. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds? And then look what happens next. Can anyone understand the what? The thunderings of his pavilion. What just happened? Thunder just clashed. Rain is coming down. Thunder has clashed. Let's keep going. Behold... Here he tells him again, look, Job, he scatters his lightning about him. What comes after the thunder? Here comes lightning striking down. God is literally riding in on Elihu's sermon. Let me tell you something. I preached this at a church somewhere, and I don't remember where it was now, but when I got to this part right here, thunder shook the building. Some of y'all were there. You raise your hand if you were there. Y'all remember that? We got a few that were there. When I got to this part right here, thunder shook the building. That's a true story. Let's keep going. In verse 31, For by these he judges people. What was the first wrath of God that came in Noah's day that judged the world? For by these he judges peoples. He gives food in abundance by this rain, by these things. He covers his hands with the lightning and he commands it to strike the mark. It goes wherever he says. It's crashing declares his presence. The cattle also declare that he rises. Think about about that last statement right there, guys. Listen, picture this in your head. The rain begins to drop and it begins to fall. And Elihu says, Job, you've got to look at that. Now check this out. No one can explain this. Listen to the thunder of his voice, Job. Look at that lightning, Job. Who can do that? And it goes exactly where he says for it to go. And then all at the end here he says, think about this, Job. Even the cattle declare that he rises. What's he seeing now? What happens when a storm rolls in? What do the cows do? If it's a bad storm, they're running for cover, right? All of a sudden, Elihu looks up and here come the cows running from this thing. And and he looks at Job and he says, Job, just look. Even the cattle declare the greatness of God. They declare that he's rising in this and he's on his way. Let's go to Job 37, verse 1 through 5. At this also my heart trembles. In other words, he is amazed by God's greatness. Elihu believes that God knows exactly what he's doing. He says, my heart leaps out of its place. In verse 2, he says, Job, keep listening to the thunder of his voice. If you ever question the greatness of God, according to Elihu, all you need to do is wait for the next storm to come through. And just listen. Listen for the sound of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven, he lets it go. This storm is rolling now. And his lightning to the corners of the earth. Have you ever seen lightning so bright and so bold that it literally lights everything up? That's exactly what is happening now. The lightning is getting so big and so bright that from the corner of every part of the world, it's lighting up. After it, 
His voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend, Job. Go to Job 37 verse 14. He says, hear this, Job, listen. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them? In other words, do you know how God tells the clouds to come together and produce rain? Do you know how he tells the lightning where to strike and which way to go? Do you know how, how he does this, Job? And this is just a small thing. And then he keeps on going. He says, do you know how God lays his command on them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? And then finally go over to chapter 38 because as Elihu is claiming the greatness of God and as the storm is rolling in and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, all of a sudden the heart of the storm comes in. And you know what God rides in on? A tornado. God says, okay, I've heard all I need to hear. Elihu has just rolled out the red carpet. And God says, all right, Job, you wanted your court date? Here it is. You wanted to come to my seat? I tell you what I do. I come to you. You want to question me? Okay. Here I come. In chapter 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. <laughs> now you've got to put yourself in Job's shoes here for just a minute. It's bad enough that lightning is flashing from corner to the corner and it's bad enough that the rain is pouring down and thunder is clapping so loud that Elihu is having to yell to get his point across. But now all of a sudden the tornado has come in and how it happens, I don't know, but God is God so he can do whatever he wants to do. And he starts speaking to God from a whirlwind, from a tornado. And here's what he says to Job in verse 2. Who is this? Who is this? Who do you think you are that darkens counsel? In other words, who is this that thinks God's counsel is flawed? And he does it by words without what? He don't even know what he's talking about. He don't have a clue. He says in verse 3, Dress up for action like a man. Prepare yourself like a man, Job. I will question you and you will make it known to me since you know so much about how this world should be run. I'm going to ask you some questions and you answer me and you tell me how this stuff works since you've got it all figured out. In verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, Job? Tell me if you have understanding. <laughs> Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. You've got it all figured out, right? You know you don't deserve this. You know this is not right. You know that you shouldn't be going through this. Surely you know how this world is supposed to be run. So tell me, Job, who determined the measurements of it? Who stretched out the line upon it? And then he goes on in verse um, 6. On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sun shouted for joy? So first thing that God does is he questions Job about something that he may have a little knowledge of. Let's talk about this earth that you live in. Surely you have some knowledge of this. So let's see what you know, Job. How much of this first part is Job able to answer? Nothing. And then he goes on, he wants to talk about the sea. Go to verse 8 with me. He says, what about the sea, Job? Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you can come but no further and here shall your proud waves be stayed. He said, Job, tell me, who does that? How, does, how, does it, how do you do it, Job? Do you know? No, you don't know, Job. You know why? Because you don't do it. You can't do it. You don't know how it's done. But I do. 
I do it every day. This is what I do. And then he says, okay, Job. So let's see what you know about um, the sun and the dawn in verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? Have you told the sun when to rise, Job? Can you do that? No, you can't do that. But you know who can? I can. I can do that. I do it every day. He says, do you cause the dawn to know its place? Can you tell the moon where it's supposed to be and when it's supposed to be? No, you can't, but I can. Then he starts talking about oceans and geography. Go with me to verse 16. We'll speed through these. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked into the recesses of the deep? In other words, Job, you have never even been to the bottom of the ocean. You've never been to the depths of the sea. You ain't never even been around the world if you were to keep reading. He says, have you been even just around this world? Job says, no. He says, but you think you can question me about the way this thing runs? He says, okay, Job, you don't know anything about the world below. Let's talk about the world above. Verse 19, where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness? Do you know? No, you don't know. You don't know how to get there. You don't know where it is, but I do, Job, because I made it. And then he starts talking about snow and hail and rain in verse 22. He says, have you entered the storehouses of snow? Do you know God has storehouses of snow? Have you seen the storehouses of hell which I have reserved for the time of trouble for the day of battle and war? Do you know anything, Joe, about storing up snow and hell for battle? You don't know nothing about that, Joe, but I do. And I know exactly where it needs to go and I know exactly how much and I know exactly where it needs to land and how much damage it needs to do. I know that, Joe. Okay, Joe. Let's go on down to verse 25. Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is? In other words, Joe, would you know anything about cutting a channel in the sky to make sure that the rain gets exactly where it is supposed to go? Do you know anything about that? No, you don't. So, Job, tell me, so far, how much do you know? I don't know anything. He goes up to the stars in verse 31. He says, Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maserath in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? No. You don't know the layout of the heavens, but I do. I hold it in place. He says, okay, Job, let's come on back down to this world. You don't know nothing about that, so come on back down. Verse 34, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? When was the last time you called for lightning and it lined up and said, here we are? Where shall we go? You can't do that. You don't know how, but I do. I made it. He goes through the animal world in verse 39. He says, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? In other words, who provides lions and birds with their food? I do, Job. Do you know how to decide which animal dies so that the lion can eat and it be good and right? You can't do that, Job, but I can. I can do that. Can you make sure that the little birds that cry for their food, that they get the food that they need? You can't do that, Job, but I can. I do it all over the world. Finally, in verse 26, he says, Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and it spreads his wings toward the south? Does the hawk soar by your wisdom, Job? No, you don't make any of these animals. You can't control them. I make them all, and they all have a purpose. So then look what happens in chapter 40. Chapter 40, verse uh, 1, it says, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer. Do you still want to question me, Job? And then God pauses for a moment to let Job answer. 
And then Job answers, and God, Job answers God and says in verse 4, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I have, but I will not answer twice. <laughs> I will proceed no further. Let me tell you something. Job's getting the point, ain't he? He is 99.99999% ignorant of how this world operates at all. And yet he wants to question God if he knows what he's doing. God said, Job, this world is in perfect order. And it's exactly how I mean for it to be for your good and for my glory. The only thing you have to do is trust in me. Think about it, Job. When you see a work of God like your suffering, that's a work of God, right? When you see a work of God like your suffering, can you see its connection to a thousand other works in the world like I can? That's what God is trying to get across to you this morning. When you see rain, do you see the connection that it does for a thousand other things in this world that you know nothing about? Do you understand the purpose of lightning? Do you understand anything about this world and how it truly operates and how everything is connected to a thousand other things? No, but I do, Job. So when you see a work of mine like you're suffering, you just need to trust that even though you don't see any cause or any purpose behind it, it's connected to a thousand other things that you know nothing about. It's connected to a group of people at Wells Baptist Church um, maybe 8,000 years from now that are going to hear this story and are going to learn how to put their trust and their faith in God. So go on over with me to Job chapter 42. We're going to close this morning. I encourage you to go read the rest of it as you are able to see that God takes him through some more of the animal world. God literally invites Job to come up. He says, Job, I tell you what, if you still think you've got it figured out, why don't you just come on up here with me and you try to run things for a while. Let's see how you do with your knowledge. Job says, no, no, I'm good. I think I'll just stay right down here, right where I'm at. So again, the question is, how, does, how should our faith respond when the thing that we fear the most has happened, when the thing that we dread the most comes upon us? Because listen to me, one day it's likely to happen to you. How many people have you ever sit with that went through a tragedy and they said, I just never thought it would happen to me? One day it could happen to you. And here's how Job responds in chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So how does this faith respond? It says this, God, I believe with all my heart that you are absolutely sovereign and I trust that you know what you're doing. You can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job has learned that in this trial. And this is how his faith responds now. God, I don't understand it. I can't answer the questions, but you can do everything and I trust you with everything in me. Verse 3, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? That was the question that God asked. Therefore... I have uttered things that I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Second way, Job says, I believe and I can see that your wisdom concerning all things and especially things of this world is infinitely greater than mine. God, I don't understand why you do the things that you do. I don't understand why you allow the things that you allow, but here's what I know. Your knowledge is so much greater than mine. My role is to just trust you. To just trust you that you mean good for me. And then the last point. He says in verse 4, Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. 
That's what God told Job. He said, I'm going to question you and you make it known to me. Well, here's what I found out, God. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Here's what he said. He said, I make myself sick that I ever doubted your goodness toward me, even in taking everything away that I love so much. I repent and completely submit my life to you and I trust you even if the worst happens. You have to be able to say that this morning or your faith will not stand. Notice what he said again. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eyes see you. Let me end by saying this. The difference between Job and the way that he knew God in blessing and suffering was the difference in hearing about God and actually seeing the face of God. You think you know God in blessing? Wait till you actually have to go through suffering. And when you go through suffering... If you seek God the way that Job seek God, I can promise you one thing. You will say with Job, here's what I've learned. Back then, I heard about you. I thought I knew you. I don't know anything. But now, because of what I went through, now my eyes see you. And I know you better than I've ever known you. Again, I close by saying, you have to trust that God is absolutely sovereign and even in your suffering, it's connected to a thousand other things that you cannot see. And you have to trust that He means good towards you. Even if this thing persists for years, He still means good for me. You have to believe with all of your heart that His plans for you are good and not evil, and that if it means taking everything you love away from you in order to make you what He means for you to be for eternity, He still means you're good and not evil. And again, it's connected to a thousand other things that you can't even see. I pray that you learn a lesson from Job this morning that you've never seen. If y'all would, stand this morning. I don't know um, what the Lord spoke to you personally this morning, but my prayer is simply that you heard whatever it was that He meant for you to hear. And I pray that whatever it is that, that, that He has put on your heart, whether it's something you kneel down in the altar to humble yourself before Him, to proclaim to Him, or whether it's something that you do it right there in your pew, I pray that you don't leave today without the Word of God changing you completely and the next trial that you face it may be the thing that you greatly feared the most it may be the thing that you dreaded would fall upon you and it's happened if it does will you trust him that's the question you have to answer whatever you need this morning now is the time to come